Hi, and welcome to Coach's Connection by Mitchell Moore. On today's podcast, we have UCLA head coach, Kerry Forsyth. Kerry's resume is so long, it would take about the whole podcast to list it all. A few highlights are coaching over 100 All-Americans, a major champion, and a Solheim Cup competitor. In the podcast, we get into what separated her two national championship teams from others, and what qualities her best LPJ Tour players have possessed. Sit back, take notes, and learn from one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, things are things are pretty crazy right now, huh? Uh, been about a week since uh, the coronavirus uh, stuff shut down uh, the NCAA spring season. So um, sad on on the note of the student athletes and the coaches. Um, how's that week been for you? Well, it's definitely been uh, very different. Um, you know, we go from being so busy with so many plans and so many things going on to sort of shut down, especially here in California. We're pretty much quarantining. You know, everybody's supposed to stay home as much as possible. And all of my athletes have now gone home um, with the start of, you know, the spring quarter is going completely online. Um, yeah, so it's just been it's been a dramatic change Um in a very, very short time. And it's just been challenging to kind of wrap my brain around what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, a crazy time in this world. And, um, I know we had to delay our call a little bit for your, uh, <laughs> cause you, uh, you've become a little, a homeschool teacher now, right? So went from a coach to a teacher, uh, really fast. Um, what grade are your, your kids in? Well, I've got uh, two seventh graders and one sixth grader, and I feel very fortunate. Our district has done a great job of um, their their classes online. They have, you know, they've even had some live time with their with their teachers, um, and it's been it's been pretty amazing what what they were able to do in such a short period of time to try to transition into this online schooling world. But as a parent, you know, I mean, again, not. And parent that's not used to being home all the time, this is it's definitely been a, a you know a transition, and I'm trying to enjoy it. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know, and some some levels I am, and some levels I'm not, but um, you know, it, it is great to to actually spend some quality time with my kids. I, I will say that. Yeah, absolutely. In a fun age to be spending time, quality time with your kids too. Um, so that's awesome. Um, now getting uh, more into our, our podcast, um, going into the coaching side of things, um, you've been at UCLA now for uh, 21 years. Um, I yes. believe this was your 21st year, correct? That is correct, yes. Yeah. It's my 21st so, year at UCLA and my 24th year as a head coach overall. Yeah, and uh, she was at Cal State Northridge before, uh, before UCLA and um, really revamped that program too, and I believe – you moved up in the golf stat rankings like 45 or 50 spots in two years, I think is what I read. Um, so pretty impressive. And um, the first question I ask all my coaches I have on, what are the foundations you built your program on um, both at Cal State Northridge and UCLA? And being at different schools, were those different foundations for each school? Um, yes, actually, I would say in, in essence they were. Um, when I took over the – well, I actually started – restart. Cal State Northridge, it had, uh, they had not had a women's golf program for something like 20 years, and then they were bringing it back, and so I was starting from scratch there, and that was really just about, you know, finding warm bodies that could swing a club, um, and then, you know, really, you know, really trying to develop them, 
um, some of them just, you know, even basic skills at that time. Um, we, you know, we were not a strong team, but we were able to develop fairly quickly. And so the, a lot of the emphasis there was on really just developing the basics. Um, some of it just, you know, teaching the game um, to some of our early players. You know, they just weren't super experienced, um, uh, weren't very high level players at that time. Um, but anything, you know, any improvements we can make was going to, you know, improve our bottom line, which which fortunately, you know, within a couple of years, we were able to, to actually get in a couple of, of, you know, stronger players and and grow the program that way. So that was really great. Um, uh, you know, UCLA was different. You know, I came into UCLA and it had been an extremely strong program. It was my alma mater. I played there and, um, you know, we'd won a national championship, uh, but they'd been in a few years of, of a down cycle. Um, they hadn't qualified for the national championship since the format had, had gone to regionals. So prior to, Prior to that, you know, the, the way that you made the national championship is simply based on ranking. And that was, of course, it's a very skewed way of doing it because you always get ranked higher the stronger the field you play in. And then they had the NC2A had transitioned into having a regional qualifier where you had to go through regionals to make it. And, you know, for four years in a row, the UCLA Bruins had not made it. Um, since the, the minute it transitioned. So, you know, I was coming into that situation with some pretty, there was some pretty high level players on the team, but mm-hmm. they were, you know, they were very defeated, I think, in their sense of, you know, their ability to accomplish much on the national level. Um, and so, you know, the, the focus there with the returning players was really just to kind of change their attitude about uh, the program, about practice, about you know, getting back into what it means to be a Bruin. And then obviously the big factor at, at the at the level of UCLA is, is about recruiting. And so I spent, you know, a huge portion of my time in the, especially in the early years, just recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. I mean, it was everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that, you know, that starting off in both programs, is just kind of a different, just, we were just in different places, which is, it's an interesting you know, journey to think back upon it. But um, yeah, yeah I, I would say, you know, those those were the two main differences at the start. Yeah, that is uh, that's very interesting. And it's uh, it's crazy. The difference of um, I mean, being at different programs, how different that can be. Um, and you talked about recruiting um, and at UCLA. What were you looking to recruit when you were starting off? Um, you were get, getting to pretty much build um your program, um, obviously a lot of uh, pressure on you um, to build a good program at UCLA. You guys are pretty much expected to win a national championship every year um, or at least be close. Um, and what kind of players were you looking to recruit then? And have those players changed at all? Um, well, back in the beginning, you know, I, I, I still remember my job interview and I, I was uh, in a room with uh, at the time, we had a we had a recruiting coordinator at UCLA, and he worked with all the programs. And the yeah. guy was like a walking computer. I mean, he knew every athlete across the I mean the country. It was amazing. But he, you know, I sat down with him, and he said, "Who are your top five recruits right now?" Off the top of my head, and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, you know, I don't know. I don't, rec- you know, I'm recruiting at Northridge. I'm not going to get the top five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, I definitely wasn't even focused on that. You know, but I, I yeah. had, I had done my homework so I had a list of who I thought were the best you know players with a a specific focus on California and I read off my list and went down you know boom 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 and so when I went out into the recruiting world I made my first few phone calls to those top players and I was like yeah no I want to go here I'm going there or 
not one of them, you know, I, I think I finally got down to my number six and mm-hmm. on the list and actually made some headway um, with, with that player who actually became my, my first uh, recruited full scholarship student athlete at UCLA um, and actually was one that went on to help us win a championship um, four years later. So um, yeah, that it was a, it was an interesting start. Um, And the focus, you know, at UCLA is to recruit the very best players that you can find in the country that fit your academic model. And that hasn't changed. I mean, we're, except we're a little bit more international, I think, than when I first started, I really focused in California and now I've 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 gone to a little bit more global view of of recruiting and and trying to find players. Doesn't matter, you know, where they are from in the world. If they if they are great students and they're great competitive golfers that fit what we're trying to do with our program, then that's where we put our focus. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great answer. Thank you. Um, and you talked about uh, so in, or UCLA hadn't been to a re, or an NCAA championship for four years before you took over. Um, since you've taken over, you've made 18 of 20, and then um, this year would have been 19 of 20. Well, probably would have been 19 of 21. Um, what's the key to, you, to the uh, consistency you've built um, over the years? Because that is a pretty impressive uh, resume right there. Um, 18 of 20 uh, NCAA championship opportunities. Well, we try every year to, you know, go into the season with the goal of being as absolutely competitive as we can be on the national level and really developing our team over the course of the year. So, um, you know, we and, and typically we'll start off with, you know, we, ha- we bring in fairly strong recruiting classes. So we're mm-hmm. we're coming in fairly strong. And then as we go through time, you know, we're trying to develop those players and take them to an even, high, even higher level. And of mm-hmm. course, then by the time they get to be juniors or seniors, you know, we're expecting them to be some of the top players in the country. And when you field teams like that, you know, you're bound to be successful. Um, and then, you know, every once in a while we've had we, we the, the first time that we didn't qualify for the championship was actually my first year at UCLA. Um, yeah. And we just you know, we, we had a good team. Um, but we just didn't get it done in the end. And, and again, I mean, we were in the midst of a culture change, um, at that time. And then the last time we didn't make it was just a couple of years ago when we lost our best player to the LPGA tour. And we were really sort of just, you know, we had good players, but there was just a little bit of insecurity, I think, within the, within the group that, you know, we kind of knew at any given time we, we could have some bad rounds because we'd been proving that throughout yeah. the year. And uh, <laughs> so unfortunately, you know, we went to the, to the, to the regional and, and it was a, it was just not a, not a good course for our, our team. And yeah. um, we just didn't make it. And, and so, you know, I mean, but again, generally speaking, when you have, have the players and, and they have the focus and they have the drive, um, you know, you're, we just view regionals as just kind of like work week, you know, we go in, yeah. Um, we don't get any more nervous than any other tournament. Um, if you've been finishing in the top, you know, few top five, top, you know, of, of the events you're playing in, there's no reason to think that you wouldn't be able to do that at a regional. And so, you know, I've tried to take a very sort of low key, um, kind of view of regionals instead of getting really nervous and hyped up about it. Oh my God, if we don't make it, it's, that's just not the way we focus on it. We just... It's it's work week. You know, we just yeah. call it work week. We go in, we do the work, the work that we've been doing all year. You should make it. Yeah. 
And you talked about development of players and um, making it a work week at regionals. Um, so that probably means that you have a lot of competition in practice or things like that. How do you work on developing the players at practice, um, golf specifically? Is it different for every player? Do you guys do mostly team practices and um, develop players that way? How does that work? Well, we we use our stats a lot, statistics, um, and we really want to break down what each player, you know, what part of their game really needs the focus. Um, you know, for some of them, it's it's a ball striking issue. So for some of them, we we, we need to really get them focused on developing their swing and, and making their golf swing more, more consistent and better. And, um, you know, those those types of things for a lot of them, it's putting and chipping and um you know, we try to individualize it in that sense. You know, if you've got somebody who's a really strong putter, um, you know, we're going to have them continue to practice their putting, but we're going to find out where are they losing their shots and then going to try to help them improve in those areas. So um, we've focused a lot on making sure that they have the shots that they need, all the shots around the greens. Um, you know, I've got a really great assistant and I've got a really great volunteer assistant and we've done some really strong work, I think, with our players in helping them develop more shots around the green, um, yeah. the ability to recognize lies and, and, you know, get the ball up and down. And, um, we, we, you know, we try to take a teaching approach to it in that sense. Like we want yeah. them to learn something and become a better player because of it. Um, but again, it's also very, very individualized. And then, you know, competitively, I, I'm really big on the competition element of it. Um, I'm a big believer in that you have to earn your spot. You don't, you're not just given a spot on the travel yeah. roster, no matter who you are, no matter what your record, because if you're good enough, you'll make it. And so we do a lot of qualifying. Um, we do an inter-squad qualifying for pretty much every tournament um, prior, you know, prior to departure to determine who gets to travel. Um, we reward, you know, reward good play in tournaments. So if you if you are playing well and you go to a tournament and you have a top finish, maybe a top 10, then you can get an exemption. So I kind of run it like I envision, you know, the LPGA. I mean, if you're if you're a new player on the LPGA tour, well, you have to go earn it every week. You're yeah. not just automatically in the field. And that's the philosophy that I have. I think that golf is a constant proving ground. And I think you have to constantly be challenged and it keeps players motivated um, it keeps them, you know, driven and, you know, focused. And they always know if they're struggling a little bit in their game or they haven't made a tournament that they still mm -hmm. are going to have an opportunity. And as and then the, for the top players, they always know that if, you know, if you're not doing the work and you start to falter, then there's a chance you're not going to travel to the next event. So yeah. I just I, I think it's a very good way to hold players accountable for the state of their game. Yeah. And I, I like what you said, uh, that it's like the LPGA Tour, and I'm going to get back to that. But I just wanted to point out one thing that you said, um, and that was recognizing lies around the green. Um, I think it's one of the most important things in golf, and I uh, am really glad you said that. And just for any coaches listening, I think that's one of uh, the most important things about the game of golf is how to read lies um, and how the ball is going to react. Um, so I would just uh, challenge you guys to all think about that and make sure that your players uh, know how to recognize that. And um Carrie, do you have any uh, ways that you guys kind of taught that, um, how to, to recognize the lies around the green, um, how to know how the ball's going to come out? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we, we've done, like, different, honestly, like, clinics almost with our players. And uh, as I said, I have a really great volunteer assistant who's worked with a lot of the really top uh, short game guys in the country. Uh -huh. And so he comes, you know, he comes in with a lot of knowledge about that. His name is Steve Holmes. 
Um, and he's, he's done some really fun work with the girls where just, you know, basically, you know, putting the ball in that lie and describing it to them and saying, okay, look, you know, the ball's sitting down, you've got the grass going this way, you've got, you know, a downhill slope, um, you know, and just kind of pointing out the things that, you know, they should be looking at when, when they see a ball, whether it's sitting up or sitting down or what the grass looks like around it or how the grass is growing. And, um, you know, in terms of, you know, uphills, and downhill, all that kind of, all those little details. And I think what's interesting to me is that, you know, I was a golfer too. I grew up playing and I played in college and over time you learn, right? I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you play enough golf and you pay enough attention, you figure things out when, even if you're not taught those things, but if we can teach them, you know, earlier, yeah. just to say, look, they, pay attention to this. This is this is what you need to be looking at here. This is what you need to notice when you when you see your ball like this. And so, only through experience that you actually learn this stuff. When you actually have a little bit of like guidance and say, look, you know, this is this is what you have to pay attention to. Um, that you know that the learning cur- curve is faster. And so that's yeah. you know we try to approach it like that and really just educate them and get them to be observant. Um, again, we rec- I recruit a very high level player. So for yeah. a lot of them, you know, they've got pretty good skills. It doesn't mean they always use them, but that's the one thing, you know, we really try to influence, you know, push them to is just, you have to pay attention to these things. These are the things that are important on this shot. Pay attention. Um, yeah. Don't just get, you know, very casual with it. You've got to, yeah. you know, certain things that you have to know and you know, so we try to educate them in that sense and, and doing it, you know, in, even in a group setting, we've done it where we just like, look yeah. at the slide. Tell me, what do you think that's going to do? What do you see there? You know, that's all. That's awesome. Thank you for uh, elaborating on that. That was really cool. Um, now we're going to go to the LPGA. Um, and this is something I'm really looking forward to talking to you about. Um, you've had uh, over a dozen players playing on the LPGA or European tour, um, one including Bronte Law, who played in a uh, Solheim Cup last uh, last year. Um, mm-hmm. So um, just kind of dive into what you think uh, sets players who play professionally and are successful versus the players that aren't as successful um, and kind of what is it characteristics in their mindset or is it um, their skill on the golf course um, their preparation, what do you think sets uh, apart the players who play professionally and the players who don't play professionally or play professionally and aren't as, ex- aren't as successful? <laughs> well, I would say E, all of the above. Um, I think <laughs> that one thing I've learned over all these years and having, having had the opportunity to coach some really high-level players that have gone on to be very successful, um, they, they excel – in so many different areas they have they have typically you know a skill set that is a little bit higher than everybody else they have a work ethic that's a little bit stronger than everybody else um they're intrinsically motivated um which you know obviously means their motivations are coming from within not from you know somebody just pushing 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 from the outside it's something that they really want um a lot of them, and, and, and I'm just going to be very honest with you, a lot of them have had some financial um, uh, advances. You know, they were they were ahead of a lot of people financially as a family. They were able to afford to be out there. They were able to afford to put in the years. I've had a few that weren't, 
Um, but for those players, their their work ethic and their desire and their ability to just continue at it and be tenacious um, made up for the fact that maybe they didn't have the financial backing. Um, so there's, I just believe there's a lot of factors that go into it. And there isn't one perfect formula, but I think that, you know, you, you have to have some pretty, pretty high skills that you continue to develop in your college years and into your, into your, sometimes even into your early pro years. Um, they haven't necessarily, um, you know, developed every element of their game. Um, even when they leave college, they still have developing to do. And I think that's true of, of, you know, so many players out there, even the, even the players that turn pro without college or go to go out on the pros early. I mean, they're still not, they're still not fully developed. There's still things they have to learn. There's a lot to learn. Um, and so, you know, I've just, I, I believe there's just so many, so many elements to it. It's never just one thing. It's never just, Oh, she was just the better player. Um, you know, they're, they're very tenacious people. They're very, you know, I, they, they, and single-minded in a lot of ways, like this is what I want to do. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get to that level and to, to have that experience. And, um, you know, I, and again, going back on the financial point, I think it helps a lot if, if they have the ability to go out there and play and not have to be completely stressed out about the money, you yeah. know, that they can, they can just be in that developmental mindset versus I have to make this check or else, you know? Um, yeah. So and, there's just so many things to it. So many parts to what makes the winning formula. Yeah. And do you help, uh, you talked about the money aspect. Do you help with, uh, kind of getting sponsorships and things like that, um, as they move forward into their professional career or do they normally take care of all that and the family handles that? Um, how does that work? It really depends on the player. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the girls in, in golf come from pretty good, you know, financial means. Um, there are some that don't. And for the ones that don't, you know, we've always tried to facilitate them building relationships within our UCLA community that they can go back to and, and you know, have help with later. I've had a lot of uh, boosters who have gone on to help our players um, and be sponsors to some of our former players as they've joined the, the pro tours. Um, we've had members from the clubs that we play and practice at that have gone on to, you know, assist. So much of it is about the players building the relationship with, with the people in the community. And that's something that we really, tr- really try to get them to understand and focus on while they're at UCLA. It's really good to, for you to go into the pro shop, get to know the people in the shop. When the members approach you, you know, talk to them, be friendly, be you know, when we put you in a group for our fundraiser, get to know these people. You know, these are the people that are going to be around to help you. Um, when it comes to companies, um, you know, I've done, I've had, you know, many, many conversations with different uh, companies as they look at sponsoring players. And as you know, on the women's side, I mean, there's not a lot of money that's going yeah. into a young player coming coming out. I mean, if you're lucky, you're going to get, you know, some clothes and some clubs and some balls and gloves, and nobody's going to really be paying you to use their their gear um but you know any any way we can help facilitate those relationships um is you know we're gonna we're gonna try to do our best to do that um but but again it it really does come down to the player and you know we've been really fortunate in the last few years a lot of our local clubs have sponsored some of our graduates who are you know now playing on the lpj tour by allowing you know giving them playing opportunities places to practice and 
and work on their games. And, and in that then comes relationships with people who have the means to, to help, to help them. And so, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's really been the main, the main thing that we've been able to do just facilitate, yeah. facilitate those relationships. Yeah, that's awesome too, and I think that's a life lesson as well uh, for your players, getting to learn how to uh, to build relationships because um, networking and relationships is probably one of the most important part of uh, of everyday life, and especially when you go into a business career or professional career on the golf course. I think that's uh, I'm I really like that um, that you said that, um, and so. Just about every player that comes to UCLA has a chance of playing professional golf. Um, you're, like you said, you're uh, you're recruiting the highest, uh, the best players in the country and the world. Um, not everybody can play professional golf, though. So, how do you deal with conversations with players that you would advise not to play professional golf? Um, do you tell them to still go chase their dream if they want to try, or um, do you steer them in a direction of um, doing something after after golf. Um, how do those conversations go? Um, typically, you know, it, it's something that I think players come to a realization about maybe their junior senior year. Um, so usually in the beginning, we we're we're treating everybody as if they they have this intention to, to play professional golf and and that's their path and that's the road that they're going to go on. But as time goes by and we start to you know you can sort of see the ones that are maybe they're just not developing, you know, maybe they just don't have the skills or maybe their skill set just isn't going to be strong enough to be out there on the next level. Or maybe they're discovering that they have other interests and they're starting to question and starting to see. And um, we try to be really real with the girls on the team. I'm just not, not to be negative, but just to be real. Um, yeah. Recognize where you're at, recognize your work ethic, recognize your skill set and, you know, you can continue to try to pursue this if that's, you know, what you really want to do, but it better be what you really want to do. Um, not just what your dad wants you to do, your mom wants you to do. It's got to come from within. Um, and if it comes from within the work ethic is usually spot on. I mean, that's, that's just a fact, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and again, just trying to be real with them, get them to recognize that, you know, if you, if you get to that place where you feel like maybe this isn't your future, then please take advantage of all of these amazing opportunities. UCLA has got an incredible career center. I mean, we've got networking, we've got, I mean, you could, you, there's so many, so many things that they can do. And, and we really want to encourage them to do those things if golf isn't in their future. So whether it's through internships or, um, you know, just uh, doing something in the summer, maybe they travel abroad or, or um, you know, just, I, I think it just really depends on, on the player. But again, we just, we want to be real with them um, and just say, Hey, you know, this is, this is reality of your skill set, And that's not to say that you can't make it because, you know, if you'd have told me Mo Martin was going to go on and win a British open after, you know, her, you know, her time at UCLA, her college years, I would have been like, oh, really? You know, that would have surprised me because she was a good player, but she wasn't the player that she is now. And yeah. she, she, but what got her to where she is now was her just tenacious, will not quit. This is what I want to do. I don't care if I have to live out of my car. I don't care if I have no money. I am playing professional golf. And that was her greatest gift. It was just the fact that she had this mind, this, this, the strongest mind, this willpower to succeed. And mm -hmm. 
you know, but it took years. I mean, 11 years of playing mini tours to, yeah. to for her to get onto the LPGA tour. Not many people are going to go through that. Not many players are going to do that. Okay. And yeah. so if a player, you know, if they're standing in my office and telling coach, this is what I really want to do. I want to play golf. Then I'm yeah. going to tell them, okay, then you need this, 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 and this. And then, then you're going to have a legitimate chance to make uh -huh. it. But if they're in there and they're just, you know, after spending so much time with them, I mean, you know, the ones who mean it and the ones who are just going through the motions because, yeah. you know, they think they're supposed to, or this is the natural next step or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, for those players, I'm going to encourage them to, to do other things too. keep your options yeah. open, pursue this, but keep your options open and, yeah. and, you know, look at, look at doing some other things throughout this process so that if you get to that place two years from now, three years from now, and you're not making it, that you have you have another path. Yeah, that that's a great story about Mo uh, Mo Martin and 11 years on the mini tours. That's uh, <laughs> that's pretty crazy, but it all worked out for the best, I guess, huh? Oh, it did. I mean, obviously <laughs> she's done fantastic, and but again, it, you know, she that's a that's a rare it's a rare trait for somebody to spend that long pursuing it at and 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 not have really she didn't have the means to do it. She did get some sponsorships. Yeah. Um, from some members at a local club, but you know, she was, she was living, you know, hand to mouth and, and, yeah. and that's not, that's not too many people are not too many young women are willing to do that. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And, um, so kind of changing course here, um, as I was going, uh, you, you've won two national championships, um, and truly your resume is, uh, incredibly impressive i was going down through it and i was kind of like uh you remember when tiger woods they were reading his name at the uh one of the tournaments and they were going down through all his wins and then phil mickelson was like oh man you've done all that <laughs> and that's kind of what i was <laughs> what i was thinking about when i was uh, when i was reading everything you've done um but one of two of your biggest accomplishments i'm guessing is uh winning a national championship two times um do those teams have certain characteristics um, that are different from the other teams that have that you've coached that haven't won a national championship? Were they your most talented teams, um, or was it a different characteristic kind of bonding together as a team? How did uh, how did that look as far as those two teams? Do those stick out to you as um, different teams that had different characteristics? It's it's interesting to to think about those two teams that we've won with. Um, I can tell you they were not our two strongest teams of all time. Um, I think there had been years um, in between those wins where we had probably, you know, in my mind, the best team in the country on paper. Mm -hmm. um, but what these two teams, the teams that we did win with, they had in common, they were, they were really, really a, a bonded group. Um, they, they were very close as a team, very supportive of each other as teammates and they were on the upward spiral. So we were we were spiraling up in both of those years where we where we won championships. In in um, 2004, um, when we started that that what for a, we call it the you know the championship segment. We you know our yeah. fall had been a little up and down. We had a big team. We had a lot of roster changes um, in the beginning. We had a, we had a pretty large team that year actually. And so we were you know the roster was changing a lot, but. Once we got some continuity as we as we were, as we were coming in the spring and we started to win, we were winning tournaments. You know, we were we were mm -hmm. every time we were teeing it up, we were playing well. We were seeing players that had been, 
you know, mediocre five, six players becoming really solid four, five players. Um, we saw our top players that, we, you know, we were being led that particular year by Charlotte Mayorkas, who was, you know, having a, one of the greatest, you know, yeah. years of, in, in women's college golf of all time at that time, mm-hmm. you know, had multiple wins individually, but we were just, we were on this upward spiral and there was this huge amount of belief um, with the players. Like they all just really believed in each other. And although they were competitive and, and competitors, there was this, this, the team was more, the team was more important than the individual. The team yeah. was the power, you know, and I really felt that in, in that year. And then again, in 2011, that was a similarity. 2011, our team that won, we were a really good team, but we, you know, we hadn't, we, we, we'd had our, our wins and our, and our, and, 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 but we were spiraling upward as a team again. Like we yeah. were, the belief was growing, the, the camaraderie was growing, the, the, the knowledge that, yeah, we can, we're good. You know, we can be competitive in, 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 in any environment. Um, and we had, again, an, another season where we had wins. I, I don't, I think it's not super realistic to think you're going to win a national championship if you haven't won a tournament all yeah. year, <laughs> um, yeah. you know? And, and so that's, you know, that, I, I think that, that there was that, that idea that we are playing some of our very best golf as coming into these events and our camaraderie as a team is growing and growing and growing. And we're really enjoying these moments and this time together. And, and so those were the, those were the similarities between those teams. And again, I've had, I've had better teams on paper for sure, but for whatever reason, weren't quite able to get over that hump, whether it was team spirit or just, you know, not, you know, we're not clicking at the same time. And, um, you know, just, there's just so many little subtleties in peaking at that right moment. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely those, those years where those teams, they stand out to me in my mind, just because I remember the camaraderie and the, the us before me type of mentality. And, you know, that's what partly too, what makes this year so, uh, disappointing for me right now, emotionally is just, I felt like this team that I have this year is, was one of those teams. Yeah. Um, you know, we weren't number one, but we were definitely moving in that direction. We were moving, spiraling up, um, playing, starting to play some really good golf. And then this, you know, this happened and poof, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's tough for a lot of teams, and it's uh, definitely tough when you're starting to see you're starting to play your, uh, your best golf of the year, too. So. Um, I feel for you there. <laughs> um, you uh, you said that the team was more important than the individual for those teams that won. Um, if you don't mind getting into that, do you, was there a way you developed that on the team, or did it come mostly from the players on the team, or did you um, kind of facilitate how to uh, some some team bonding activities, or how do you think that that happened with those teams? I think it was a combo of both of those things. I think we had, um, you know, in, in those in those particular teams, we had some pretty good leadership from some of our upperclassmen who were, you know, our juniors and seniors who were playing. You know, they were great leaders. They were great role models. Um, they were, you know, they were very devoted players. They were playing some of their best golf. Um, and they were just really, they were good people. Uh, they, they just, they were just, you know, good people. They were solid humans. And, and so that, you know, that sets a tone for everything. We always do team building. We always do, you know, 
try to, you know, do things to help the team bond, but certain personalities, you know, are just, are just not going to, going to go with that. And, you know, I mean, and, and some of that, and, you know, speaking very frankly, I mean, some of the very best players are not, you know, team players. They're not there because golf is an individual sport. And so you can have some extremely highly talented players who just can't function on a team because they can't, they can't make it. It's always going to be just about them. And, and, you know, and that's, I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, as you, as you recruit at this level and you coach at this level, that's something, I mean, I I feel like it's a lesson I have to learn over and over and over, you know, sometimes you just recruit, you recruit a player because they're just awesome. You know, they're awesome player and you're impressed with their physical talent and, you know, but you get them in a team and it's like, you know, they're, they're not always the best thing for the team. And, and, you know, I think every coach makes those, I don't want to call them mistakes, but they're just, they're moments when you have to go back and reflect and recognize, like, okay, I know this, you know, golf is not a team sport per se, but we're playing it as a team. And those yeah. traits are going to be important and valuable. Um, you know, getting along with people, um, being supportive of people when they're struggling, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm going off track here, but no, that's, <laughs> I, that's I, I think awesome. that's just something that, you know, I, every, you know, I don't know, sometimes you just get so wrapped up in somebody's talent and you're just like, yeah. God, this is just a great player. And, and, and maybe you forget like, well, yeah, but they're going to be on a team and they're not a good team player or they're yeah. just not going to bring that type of environment. And so I'm trying very hard to, to infuse more of that into my recruiting and maybe I'll step past the number one and, yeah. and take the number five player on that list because that that's actually the better person for us in, in, yeah. a, in, in our environment, in the environment in the environment that we as coaches can also thrive in and enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I don't think that can be, that shouldn't be sacrificed. I, I think we, I have sacrificed it over some, some seasons, I don't think it's something I want to sacrifice anymore as, yeah. as a coach moving forward. I think that I, I'm, I really want to recruit the whole person and not just the great golfer. Yeah. Yeah. And we're uh, one of the only sports that doesn't get to see the player compete as a team on a team either, which is uh, you're, you're pretty much, like you said, uh, recruiting an individual to come into a team sport, which is uh, kind of different from any other sport where you're seeing, obviously in basketball, it's a, it's a team sport from the minute they uh, they start playing to uh, to college level. So it's interesting uh, interesting dynamic when it comes to recruiting and go- and college golf. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many there's so many elements to it that you just have to you know you have to see how they're interacting with their parents and how they interact with their fellow competitors and and you know through conversations and when they make their visits and you know you hope you hope that through all that, you're, you're going to find the real person. And that's, you know, you're going to find somebody that really, really is a good fit. And, um, again, I mean, this, this particular year, I was just, I, I, I can't, I can't say enough about this group of players that, that yeah. we had on our, have on our team. And luckily most of them are coming back next year, but, um, you know, they were, this was just a phenomenal group this year. And, um, you know, just, I, I'd give them just a plus across the board when it comes to just who they were as people and, how they related with each other as a team. That's awesome. And that helps, uh, helps your coaching too, I'm sure. So that's, uh, that's great. And it's been, uh, awesome learning from you so far. I have a couple more questions. You have about five to 10 more minutes for me. Yeah. All right. 
Awesome, awesome. So the reason I uh, started this podcast, I wanted to kind of highlight um, coaches in the women's sports world. Um, most podcasts I listen to are all um, coaches who coach male sports. So um, I thought it would be fun to, to women's uh, sports coaches. And um, also I wanted to see what separated the best coaches from the rest. Um, and can you kind of dive into what you think separates the best coaches from coaches who aren't as successful? Well, I think there's, again, just another multifaceted, you know, question and, 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 and it takes a, a lot of different traits. Um, I, I believe that the best coaches, you, you, you need to come from a foundation of knowledge. You need to be a constant learner um, and, and having the desire to learn and having the desire to grow um, as a coach. It's the same thing I would expect in my players. I want my players to have the desire to learn and have the desire to grow. And yeah. I, I think that if you come into this business thinking that you have all the answers and you are, you know, your, your way or the highway type of mentality, I, I don't know if that's a recipe for success, um, especially dealing with the, the modern athlete. I think you have to have um, some flexibility. I think you have to have, um, you know, not in, not in your, not in your like, your core beliefs, but just to recognize that, you know, we're getting new knowledge about the game, about the sport all the time. And you need to be open to that. You need to recognize that maybe, Hey, maybe what I was taught when I was growing up playing golf, isn't right. Isn't correct. Could be taught better, could be understood easier to, you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many things that you, you can learn and grow from. And I, that's one of the greatest parts about this job is that it's just a, constant constant ability to to learn something new and you know um so i think that that's important i think you have to have that sort of growth mindset versus just like this is it my fixed very fixed traits and this is how it should be um i think you need charisma um because i don't think recruiting is easy and i think that charisma um as a person i think that makes a difference yeah you know i mean so much of it can be about the scholarship and the money or whatever but at the end of the day, you have to be able to sit in a room and convince a parent and a student that their best path lies with you and not another coach who maybe on paper is just as good or better. You know, yeah. they have to they have to really see that and see and see the kind of person that you are, um, at least for me, because I think the relationship is really important. I think that the coach player relationship is very important. Um yeah. I don't want I don't want my players to think that I'm just some dictator, you know, not thinking about them and their well-being and only thinking about winning and only thinking about, you know, myself or, you know, I that's just not what I want. I want them yeah. to know that I'm in it for them. And I think that that, you know, that's that's important. And I think, you know, you need to be able to develop your players. You need to be able to have a relationship with them that you can help them become better people, um, better golfers, uh, better students. Um, and, and that takes the ability to communicate. So I think communication is important. Um, I think um, you have to be able to earn their respect, respect and their trust. And, um, and I think that, that, you know, a lot of just the way that you live and your actions and how you deal with them and the perception of fairness is very important. I really believe that. Um, I think that that the greatest coaches, you know, that that they are able to foster these environments where they 
they feel, they believe that, you know, the coach is on their side. And even if they're not making the lineup, it's, it's not because, you know, the coach doesn't like them or isn't going to pick them. It's because, you know, they didn't, they just, they, they need to go earn it. You know, they need to work harder and they need to earn it. And that's been explained and it's been laid out for them. This is what you need to do. And this is how you can get better. And, you know, these, but these, again, these are, these are my, my views. I, I, yeah. there's been some really successful coaches that I wouldn't send my own child to, to go play for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they've been successful, uh, yeah. you know, so they have a different view of it and a different formula. Um, yeah. but I don't know for me, success isn't just about only winning national championships. I feel yeah. like that's a product of something, you know, deeper. Yeah. That's an awesome answer. Thank you. And that was, uh, what I was going to ask also is what you, uh, see as successful in your coach's coaching career. So that kind of answered that. Um, and you were talking about learning. Um, do you listen to book or read books or listen to podcasts? Um, I know you listen to uh, Coach's Connection every time a new episode comes out, but other than that, <laughs> do you uh, do? You <laughs> I do now. <laughs> do you listen to uh, any podcasts or uh, books um, that you think uh, coaches can read to uh, to improve their uh, their knowledge when it comes to golf or coaching or just life in general? Well, funny because a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to have been more about parenting versus versus coaching. Um, I've done a lot of listened to a lot of parenting podcasts and Uh just like any parent, you know, you're trying to figure things out. But I I do actually have been able to apply a lot of the stuff that I've learned on the parenting podcast to to coaching because there's a there is some crossover there for sure. Um, I love reading. I'm a big reader. So I've read a lot of the a lot of the great books. you know, right. I just finished, uh, you probably heard in some of my, my, my verbiage and just the, the book mindset, I think is a fantastic book. Um, yeah. I've read, you know, so, a lot of John Gordon's, uh, um, books on, you know, motivation and team. And, yeah. um, so yeah, I, I'm a big, I'm more of a reader than I am a, 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 a podcast person. I just love yeah. to read. Um, and you know, I, I, I mean, there's just, there's so much, stuff out there so many great books um and just so much knowledge you know if you're just willing to 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 get after it a little bit um you know you can you can just learn so much and and learn you know figure out how to apply it you know everybody's got their own style and one style isn't right or wrong or better or worse or or anything it's just you 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 have to have your own style you have to know what it is what your style is where where's your comfort zone in coaching who are you as a coach? Um, and that takes time. I w- I'm a very different coach now than I was when I started, for sure. Completely. Yeah. You, you can ask any of my players in my early years who who I coached. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely way different than I was back then. Um, yeah. And I put a priority on different things than I did back then. And, you know, it's just evolution, you know, and you have to be able to evolve towards something. And so, you know, but a lot of that has to do again, like you with, with education and learning and, and also just having a, a sense of like who you are as a person. And when I started coaching, I was very young, you know, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't as you know evolved of a thinker as I am now. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just have to, there's just a ton out there, a lot of knowledge. Um, I, I mean, like I said, there's uh, so many good books that the, what's the one that PN Lynn, uh, Vision oh, uh, 59 uh, put Vision out. Oh, 50, so good. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. 
Yeah. 54. Yeah. Yeah. Not vision 50, not 59. That, that number's <laughs> been, yeah, we've already blown Pat, right? Vision yeah, 54. exactly. Their, their, their latest book. I can't, and I, I don't have the name of it right off the top of the head. It's really, really good. Really yeah. good. You know, in terms of the think box and the play box, things yeah. that I learned a long time ago, but didn't, I didn't, you know, and I think they evolved to this too, where you, you know, coming to that realization that when you're in the play box, that is, needs to be a sensory experience, yeah. you know, and that, that changed so much about the messaging that, you know, we were, I was given to our athletes, yeah. you know, and, and even the way that I used to play, I mean, I was always yeah. standing over the ball thinking, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. Don't do that. Yeah. You know? Um, exactly. and I don't know. So again, I mean, there's just so much good stuff out there. And I think if you just are interested in learning, you can, and, and read things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, you may not buy into that completely, but at least then you've heard a different opinion and another side and, you know. Yeah. Well, um, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm sure everybody can, uh, that's going to listen, can hear, uh, why you've been so successful. I have a page and a half full of notes already, uh, just from, just from listening to you and I haven't even dug deep into it. So, um, it's been such a pleasure, um, getting on and I appreciate you, uh, helping a young coach and myself, um, learn to be better. And, um, we look forward to, uh, to next year and, um, seeing your team improve and, uh, hopefully, uh, playing well, uh, the entire year. Thanks, Mitchell. I really appreciate it. And I'll look forward to to being a regular listener. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Carrie. You have a great one. All right. You too. All right. Bye.